So I'm so excited to welcome our guest preacher today, Reverend Cedric Lundy. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've known Cedric for almost 30 years now, um, and he's someone I've always felt honored to know. His voice is one that I respect and consistently learn from. Cedric is a native of Ann Arbor and a product of Lincoln Consolidated Schools, as am I. Cedric moved to Charlotte, North Carolina after graduating from Spring Arbor University in 2004 with a degree in youth ministry. And over the last number of years, his burden in ministry has expanded beyond youth ministry. He now serves as street leader director at <clears throat> excuse me, at Urban Promise, Urban Promise Charlotte. He's also one of the co-hosts of Token Confessions podcast, which is great. Highly recommend it. He's a teaching pastor at Watershed Charlotte and part of the Leadership Council with newly formed It Ends Now Charlotte. You can find that group on Facebook. A growing voice in anti-racism work, he's transferred his talent for absorbing sports trivia into memorizing history husband to Emma for 13 years, father to Isla for nine years. In his spare time, he enjoys cooking, gardening, and enjoying craft beers. Whenever back in Ann Arbor to visit family, he and Emma go to Jolly Pumpkin for the truffle fries. So without further ado, Reverend Cedric Lundy. Probably helps if I unmute. You'd think I'd have this figured out by now. But hey, as I was saying, um, it's just really surreal and cool to be with you all representing my hometown, Ann Arbor, Ace Deuce. Just a week ago, I was in a car driving back from uh, visiting my family. We had just celebrated my dad's birthday and that was our vacation. But uh, yes, all the way down here, go blue all the time. It never ends, it never stops. So what can I say? Anyway, let me uh, get into what I've actually been invited here for. Um, God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them, the land, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So one of the things that I didn't include in the bio that, that Cassie shared is that I really love pop culture my first ever job, for example, was working at the old movie theater in Briarwood Mall, where now I think it's a sports store. But that United Artists movie theater, I worked there for a long time and I just love movies. That's just something that I've always enjoyed. I'm one of those people that uh, if there's a movie I really enjoy, I watch it multiple times. And amongst the movies that I've seen multiple times, and this even goes back to network television, those of you who are old enough to remember this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and you can you know, give you a little snap or whatever. But back in the day, 
Passover was always marked by the showing of Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments on network television. And so every time I think of the Exodus story, I can't help but think of that movie, that, which was made in 1952 or 56, I can't remember what year, but you get the idea, it's old. But even for then, the special effects aren't bad especially when you get into the plagues and, you know, the, 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 the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. I mean, it, it, it wasn't bad for the 50s, but I digress. That's what I tend to think of when I think of the Ten Commandments. But the interesting thing about that is that, one, it wasn't on a felt board dating myself again. Uh, but number two, that Oftentimes, my understanding, even as my time spent as a student ministries uh, pastor where I taught on the Exodus uh, many times, my understanding of the Exodus story was really that God rescued the Egyptian or the, the Israelites out of Egypt to basically give them the Ten Commandments, to give them these new laws and rules to live by that my understanding of that story had not really expanded or grown beyond just that understanding that Cecil B. Mill really um, introduces, I mean, literally introduces at the beginning of the movie, which that's the part that I had forgotten when I actually went and got the DVD copy to use as a little video illustration for some of the parts of the story that we were gonna be in when I taught it to middle schoolers. I totally missed the introduction where he basically lays out, hey, look, this is the basis of God giving us rules to live by. That without these rules, we uh, just desecrate ourselves and all those big words that just has us feeling like we're not enough. It hasn't been until later on in my continued maturation and, and, and you know, by the grace of, of God, the working of the Holy Spirit through his people and other Christian thinkers beyond the ones that I grew up with, that I've really had my understanding of Exodus really expanded. So that portion that I read was from Exodus 6. And prior to that, we get Moses coming across the burning bush. And he notices this burning bush. He goes up to it. He sees it. And he recognizes that the bush is not being consumed, which is a really odd and weird thing to see. But here's the fascinating thing. Once the voice of the divine calls out to him from this burning bush and says, Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. Moses trying to figure out why this bush is burning and not being consumed is no longer the issue. That the issue at hand is the continued oppression of the people of Israel. That this was something that was not news to Moses, nor was it news to the divine. But it ended up being a catalyst for something, for a catalytic event that led to the eventual exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt, but more than just moving from one geographical place to another, which is an idea I want to develop today in the time that I have with you. So 
Here we are, it is August, and I don't know about you, but even finding out the story and the video, seeing the video of Ahmaud Arbery seems like so long ago. Then hearing the story of Breonna Taylor seems like it was a year ago. And even finding out about this video of George Floyd, which I have still yet to and will not watch, <laughs> that was only the end of May. That was only three months ago, not even a full three months ago. It almost feels as though we have lived in age since Minnesota was on fire. And here it was that you had these images of not just Minnesota, but various different cities throughout the US swept up in this movement. And it was then that I had this idea that perhaps Minnesota is our burning bush. That perhaps these cities on fire as it were, is our burning bush. And the question for me was, am I gonna be consumed by the idea of why these cities are in what looks like disarray, why they seem to be on fire, or am I going to ask the question of what's next and what needs to happen? Because here's the thing, just like the burning bush, though those cities seem to be on fire, they have not been consumed. So for me, it was really starting to maybe think of this moment that we're in, in light of the Exodus story, which was why I was so excited to receive the invitation to join in the series that you all have been having for a number of weeks now. So after that passage from Exodus 6 that I read, at that point, Moses and Aaron had appeared before Pharaoh, delivered the message, free my people, let them leave and be freed and liberated so that they can go out into uh, the wilderness and, and worship me so that they can go to the land that I promised them. Which of course, Moses, I mean Moses, Pharaoh says no, which is kind of ironic that I stumbled over and mixed those two up since in the Ten Commandments movie, uh, Moses was played by Charleston Heston. And if you know anything about what he ended up being for later in life, it kind of makes sense. But anyway, I digress. Like I said, I like pop culture. So he says, who is this God that I should obey him? And they give a couple of signs, but this ultimately leads to the plagues of Egypt. Now, again, I think of everything from the Ten Commandments to the Prince of Egypt to the Brick Testament, if you ever followed that. I really don't think that much about the Exodus Gods and Kings movie that came out with Christian Bale. Like, I mean, I mean he's Batman, so he's got that going for him. But that movie just kind of left me in. That's what I tend to think of. But I, I thought of it just through the lens of God punishing Egypt to get them to relent. What I didn't see and what I was challenged to consider later on when I heard a good friend of mine at one of the churches I used to 
work at, uh, him go through the Exodus, is he, he framed the plagues, these 10 plagues. He framed them as God was uncreating creation. That here is water being turned to blood. That here is frogs and gnats and flies and so on and so forth. All these different aspects of the creation was being turned upside down. And that through that uncreating of creation, we see just how uh, broken and bankrupt commodifying human bodies really is. That we see how broken these systems that we have. And that even beyond that, that God was systematically assassinating the gods of Egypt because each one of those areas of Egyptian life that the plagues were attacking also represented one of the major gods of Egypt. That the Nile represented a god in Egypt, a very significant job. And so the blood in the river wasn't just perceived as the Nile turning into blood, whether it was actual blood or red rocks at a river uh, opening way down the Nile that emptied into the Nile and made it appear as blood. It was interpreted as the God of the Israelites, the God of these slaves has killed our God of the Nile. It was understood to be that God's blood that the undoing and disruption to all these different aspects of life, each one was considered the God of the slaves, defeating each and every one of our gods. Down to the sun being darkened for three days. And if you know anything about uh, uh, Egyptian mythology, the sun was more significant than any of those. And we've been living in this time period. Well, not only have we seen this huge awakening, so many people seeing this burning bush, if you will, recognizing that we are standing on holy ground and they need to be listening to the people out there in the streets who are saying everything from Black Lives Matter, that no lives, that all lives matter, when Black Lives Matter, no peace, no justice, all of these different things that are being said, that ultimately what God is maybe doing even in this moment, as we are feeling like we're living through literal plagues, like COVID-19. I don't know what's all going on down, I mean, up in Ann Arbor, but here in Charlotte, we, we've literally had tornadoes go through. Like my deck is still a little busted from a tree that fortunately just clipped the deck. I mean, just, it just seems wild. But that those plagues, in particular, what we're experiencing through COVID-19 and how it has absolutely disrupted every aspect of our society, that it is exposing the brokenness of all these different systems, from education 
to healthcare, to banks, businesses, the mailing system. I mean, we are seeing so many of our systems in our society being turned upside down on its head. And so the question has been asked, what is it that we really want? What is it that we're going for? I recently got into a, a, a conversation with, with someone on Facebook who in essence was responding to something that I said in regards to the fact that when it comes to anti-racism, the movement of anti-racism and dismantling white supremacy is not about trying to bridge this divide between the supposed left and right, this false dichotomy, this false binary of left and right. That the work of anti-racism and dismantling white supremacy is not about creating conversations. To which this person responded, well, what I hear you saying is that you don't care what I have to say, that you just want me to shut up, that you want to silence me. And I said to this person, actually, no, it's not that I'm wanting to silence you. It's not that I'm trying to shut you up. It's just the simple fact that I'm not trying to have the conversation that you're trying to have. I've entirely left that conversation. There's some people who want to have that conversation. There's people who are still totally invested in having the conversation on whether or not racism and white supremacy is a thing, how prevalent it is, to what extent. And for me personally, that's just not a conversation I'm having anymore. I've had it for a good number of years. I've entertained all comers. I've laid out history and facts, which they are free to disagree with. But I'm just not having that conversation anymore. Because even in the Exodus story, you had people who said, Moses, you've made things worse. Now we got to make brick without straw. Now we have to make twice as much as we did last week. There's other people who said, and this is where even the Ten Commandments movie really imports different characters to bring about this tension of like, Moses, what in the world are we supposed to do out there in the wilderness? Like we got, I don't know what you're complaining about. We got it good here, or at least I got it good here. So don't try to mess it up. So what perhaps is the point of the Exodus back then that went beyond just giving out 10 commandments? What's the point of dismantling white supremacy and racism? Because honestly, I don't believe it's about like just trashing people who have been deemed white. I believe that just like God rescued the Israelites from Egypt in the same way that I believe 
these moments that we are going through right now as a movement of the divine for the same purpose. That God uncreated creation symbolically in Egypt in order to create a new creation. So my question to your community is will you join in the work of creating a new creation? It's one thing to point out the brokenness of these systems, and there is definitely a place for, the, for that. I continue to do that, but it doesn't stop there. Will we go about the business of creating something new? And that's where we can grieve for those who call themselves Christians and yet are so caught up and shackled to this idea of divine violence. That this idea that justice is only about the shedding of blood, that refuse to hear or see that the kind of liberation and justice that we are calling for is one that cultivates things, not just totally destroys things so that a new creation can be built. I'll give you one example from my own life. I, I currently work, as, as Cassie said, for an organization called Urban Promise Charlotte. We're a Christian nonprofit where our mission is to uh, 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 reach a child, raise a leader, and restore community. We reach children by running an after-school program in under-resourced, underfunded communities and neighborhoods. We raise leaders by using high school students to run the after school and summer program. It's a paid job for them. They're not volunteering. They get paid a competitive wage, but we also give them leadership development, Christian discipleship, and then we come alongside them to help in the whole college application process. And what we do has been absolutely disrupted by the way that COVID-19 has affected education. And we are heading into a school year that begins tomorrow for Charlotte Mecklenburg schools that is going to be completely virtual for at least this semester. And so we've had to rethink how we're going to do what we do. And I get to brag on my street leaders for a minute here. The creativity, the ingenuity, the innovation that they brought to the ways that we had to do summer camp in a way that we've never had to do it before, where they're having to give a daily health check, get contactless uh, temperature taken to where they don't get to see all the kids every day where they had to stay in one room for the duration of the three hours, whereas we usually had six. And they grieved how it was going to be different. And then they went and they owned creating something new out of the pieces that we had left. 
And now for the school year, we get to do it again. How can we be about joining in creating something new out of the old? That is the story that we are a part of. That we get this beautiful picture of our future of a new heavens and a new earth coming out of the old earth and the old heaven that hasn't been burned away in fire, right? It's, oh, there it is. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed, right? We get this new thing born out of it. So I don't know what that looks like for you all, but just from even being a part of this service, this is a great example too that you've had to build something where you still have the essence of that community, albeit virtual. But what else does that look like? Because there are people out there who need your creativity, your ingenuity, your innovation, all the particulars of when God made you. He said, it is good. That what you already have is enough to bring to this new creation. So uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Frederick. <laughs> no, that was a fantastic word. Um, there were so many things that stood out to me. One, I had never heard of the, um, the various plagues being talked about as sort of the uncreating of creation. That has given me a lot to think about. I think that there's a lot there. And the question that you asked our congregation, I think is actually a question I'd like for us here in a meditation time to sit with. I know some of you at home, like I know there's kids around and it was, um, it's a little bit harder sometimes to have this little moment of quiet. So if you don't have it right now, maybe take that time a little bit later. But for those of us who can maybe just take a minute and sit with it, I think that question Will we engage in the work of creating a new creation? I'm gonna put it in the chat box. Will we engage in the work of creating a new creation? It's like conversation is great, critique, dismantling, all those things have to happen, but also will we engage in the work of creating a new creation? So let's take about one minute to just kind of sit with that and let the spirit speak to us or let it ferment a little bit. And then we'll move into a time of prayer where we, we do our candle lighting. So come spirit.
before we go into the candles, I just want to pray a little um, for our congregation as, all, as well as for Cedric. And so Holy Spirit, I just bless Cedric and the work that he's doing and the ministry with Urban Promise Charlotte. Lord, we thank you for the gifts and the anointing that you've given him. Thank you for the gift that he brought to our community this morning. And Spirit, I ask that you would just continue to ferment within us to, in this time of the pandemic, when we've got a little bit of, of space away from doing church as normal, that you would expand our imaginations for how we can be part of this work of creating this new creation, um, how we can be part of these spaces of dismantling white supremacy, um, of owning our parts in that system, um, of repenting for that, and of going forward. Lord, that you would give us incredible vision and willingness as we do that. As, as we just sat there in the silence, I just kept feeling, I think we're willing, we're willing, show us. So Holy Spirit, show us. Um, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.